Thank you so much, man. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate that. Um, if we haven't met yet, um, I've just been here for about two and a half years now, rounding the corner for two and a half years, and I have loved my time here. Um, thank you so much for, for just the way that you guys have embraced myself and my wife. Um, we've been married for about two years, and uh, she's about nine months away from starting dental hygiene school, or from starting, I reversed that, from ending dental hygiene school. So. We are um, really excited um, for, I'm just stoked to see her um, continue to pursue the, co the call that God has on her life in that. So that's kind of the season of life we've been in a little bit. Um, I lead high school and young adults. That's just a little bit about me. Um, but I am very honored, very excited for the next um, 25 minutes to three hours. We'll see what comes first. Um, <laughs> For those of you who don't know, um, Eugene Peterson has just recently passed away. And um, the, he's finally going to be with the one that he dedicated his entire life to. And um, there was an article written recently that I was reading um, this last week, and it was by a friend of his who went to visit him shortly before he passed. And this friend, he was like, man, before I leave, Eugene, I want to anoint your head with oil and I want to pray over you. And it was a beautiful kind of ceremony and he goes to leave and, and Eugene is like, not quite yet, I have some oil that I want to anoint you with and pray over you for. And um, Eugene went to the other room and did that very thing. And, and they spent time praying after that. And this is a little bit of what Eugene prayed. He said this, a man who in the backwoods of Montana he, he's seen tons of money through just the, just the way that he is. Um, he's a phenomenal author. He had many, many opportunities to, to just grow in wealth and whatnot. And he's just in this tiny little house. And here's what he prays. Father, help Jan and I to take what's left with us and to share it with those around us. Help us to give it all away. Help us to give it all away. And here is what the friend wrote in this article. He said, of all that I have learned from Eugene and Jan Peterson over the years, maybe that's the thing that will stick with me the most, that true life is found as we become like Jesus, as we spend our lives giving it all away. Man, isn't that a bold vision for your life? Isn't that a really bold vision, like a bold lifestyle? What a kingdom perspective this man had. I want that life. Does anybody in this room want that life right there? Like, man, just help me to give it all to you, Jesus. I want to be all about you. I want to be all in. I want everything else to just pale in comparison um, to Jesus. So, so we've been working through a series in the book of Philippians that we are calling A Search for Joy. The Search for Joy. Today we're in chapter three. If you have your Bibles, whip those guys out. And I just wanna start by saying, I've been praying a lot for this moment, um, a, a significant amount for this moment. I've been praying that this wouldn't just be kind of a Sunday routine, like, oh, cute, Nick's gonna preach. Um, but, but like a moment where, where God's words like come from God and into our lives and that it would change the other six days of our week. It would begin to shift and change our lives. I've been praying that God's words in Philippians 3 would, would radically shift our thinking and in turn would shape the way that we live day to day when we wake up in the morning. Um, this teaching is difficult today because something we hold so tightly as humans and particularly as Americans is our love for comfort. We got any comfort lovers out there? Yes, I'm the first to raise my hand on that. 
We have this love for convenience, for comfort, and in a very real sense, our lives are based around comfort and convenience. Fast, easy, comfortable, fun, effortless, from cars to vacations to that craft coffee. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, coffee to clothes to self-checkout lines, to iPhones, to heating, and nobody has air conditioning around here. It's really weird. But the, the, list, the list goes on. We want to be comfortable, right? And this puts us in an interesting place in this life, though, because we live in a culture that tempts us to move in the direction of comfort and convenience. When Jesus steps in and he says the shape of our lives are called to be like that of a cross, that our sweet savior Jesus modeled for us. And you might think, Nick, you just said this is a series on joy. Why did you start your message like that, bro? I thought you were gonna be like, yeah, have all the comfort you want and, and um, yeah, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's do this. So I believe more fully than ever that true joy is found when everything pales in comparison to Christ. True joy is found when everything pales in comparison to Christ in our lives. And I just want to say, like, I'm teaching this morning from the place of a student. I'm a student. I'm right there with you. I'm not saying, like, I'm a master, and let me tell you exactly what it looks like to give it all away. I'm with you right there. It's difficult for me. So let's, let's go ahead and dive into this text um, this morning. I love what Pastor Carl said one time. He's like, my favorite part of every sermon is, is when the pastor says, take your Bibles out. That's, I thought that was beautiful. So let's take your Bibles out. Philippians chapter three says this, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, rejoice. I never get tired of telling you these things. I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Check this out. He doesn't say that, but I, I, I added that. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Anybody, anybody uh, brag about that? No. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought at one time in my life, I thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ. Get this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience 
the resurrection from the dead. What a rich text we have here this morning. I think this text alone will preach. You don't need me, but let's pray before we get too far into this. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that you've given us this model through Jesus, but also these words through Paul to just, to just live into. Thank you so much that we're not just out wandering, trying to figure life out on our own. You're giving us very clear instructions, and I just pray for boldness. I just pray for faith like Eugene's. I just pray that you would help us lean in and we would be people who say, we are giving it all away for your name, God. We love you. Be in the center of this time this morning, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Awesome. So what we have here in this text is an invitation into a life of rejoicing, a life of joy. That is how um, Paul actually starts this. That's how he begins the chapter. And he invites his readers to rejoice in the Lord. But what follows the text is a little bit different um, than rejoicing. So the text today is a glimpse of actually how Paul has received joy in his own life. And let me just say, a life of joy, and you know this, looks far different from the American life of happiness. You guys know that? Biblical joy looks far different from what the world tells us about joy or happiness. And a follower of Jesus, get this, he can lose all things. He can lose all people but he can never lose Christ. A follower of Jesus can lose everything, but he can't lose Christ. And therefore, even in circumstances where joy seems to be impossible, like how can you be joyful? Everything was taken from you. And even in conditions where it seems to be nothing but pain and discomfort, the Christian joy remains. Some of you know this firsthand. You're like, I know, I've been through it, but man, God has filled me with joy. It remains why? Because neither, neither height nor depth nor life nor death, nothing can take Christ from him or her. How many of you believe that this morning? All right, four, five, no, I'm just kidding. You believe, man, I'm excited about this reality. Right out of the gate, Paul begins to speak on the topic of circumcision. This is kind of an interesting thing to talk about this morning, but, but he says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be saved, or you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. What in the world is he talking about? This will require a little bit of historical background. Circumcision was the physical mark of devotion and belonging to God. You knew people were devoted by God by if this were the case in their life. So in Greek, this is interesting. This is actually a pun that doesn't translate into English. So he's saying you think that you're circumcised, but really you are engaging in forbidden self-mutilation. What he is saying is you Jews think that you are circumcised when actually you have just mutilated yourself. So what Paul says here is if you have nothing to show for your faith but circumcision of the flesh, if all you have is a physical mark, then are you really circumcised? Are you really, do you really belong to God? You are actually only mutilated. Real, cir real circumcision is devotion of heart, mind, and life to God. That's what he's saying. That is what faith is. For Paul... Christians, followers of Jesus, followers of his way are truly circumcised, not with like this outward badge and mark in the flesh, but with this inner and spiritual circumcision. So in short, he's saying this, look out for people who look like they have it all together in the external. Look out for those people who look like they have it all together in the external because God is concerned with the condition of your heart. 
God is concerned with the the condition of your heart. In verse three, Paul says, we, Christ followers, we rely on what Christ has done for us. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We lay everything down, not on the basis of our accomplishments, the things that we have done, but on the basis of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And and what did he accomplish? What, 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 What was it that he accomplished? He made a way, he reunited us with God. He reunited us with God. He exchanged his righteousness for our brokenness. You guys see the, the, the reality of that. That is exciting stuff. He, changed, he, tra- he said, man, here's my righteousness, and I'm going to say, dude, your brokenness, hand that over. I'll give you my righteousness. Jesus took on the hell he didn't deserve to give us the heaven we didn't deserve. That's something worth celebrating. Yeah, give God a shout of praise or something. And, and then he says this. We, we put no confidence in human effort. When we follow Jesus, we don't put confidence in human effort. But isn't this life so much based on our accomplishments? Like, aren't accomplishments great? Like, isn't this what we're trained to do from a young age? To get through school, to get a good job, to raise a family, to make a name for ourselves. Isn't it a good thing to have confidence in the fact that I have built a life for myself? I, to be successful, we, we live in like the land of independence, for goodness sake, right? That's, that's a valued thing in our culture. Is Paul saying this is bad? Is he saying this is bad? Well, he goes on to list some of his human, his human efforts. He mentions that he actually has a whole lot of reason to be confident in this world. And it looks a little bit different from some of the things we're confident in, but there are some similarities too. But we're gonna break that down and talk about it historically. So he was circumcised on the eighth day. This means that he was born to Torah-observant Jewish parents. It's basically saying, man, I was born in a pew. I was born in the church, man. I was raised here. He's like, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, meaning I'm a part of God's chosen people through and through. Like, if God were to choose anybody, he would choose me. Is this mic really, like, echoey? Or is it just in my brain right now? A little bit? I can use a handheld if that's chill. Keep going. Okay. Love you guys. So he says, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am one of the first Jews left that can be traced back to Abraham. And that's a, that's a big deal. He said, I'm a real Hebrew. Some of your translations say, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. This means I've come from Hebrew-speaking parents to Hebrew-speaking parents. I'm not a sellout to the Greek culture. I'm not a sellout. This is like saying, yeah, I'm an authentic Portlander. I have never lived in Forest Grove. Yeah. <laughs> this is like saying, I am the real deal. I drink coffee in Portland every day. So in regards to the law, he says, I am a Pharisee. Ooh, something, God's speaking, man. I'm a Pharisee. And nobody was more serious than the Pharisees. Nobody was more serious than those guys. They were obsessed with the Bible. Um, He's basically saying, I'm the A-plus gold star student in Sunday school. Like, I I know all the right answers. So as for zeal, I persecuted the church. Zeal is like this passion. He was so passionate to the point of killing people. Test, test, yeah. This is, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you, Lord. He, so he was fueled by religious intensity. He was fueled by religious intensity. He was a passionate dude is what he's saying. As for righteousness, he obeyed without fault. He's saying, I am blameless. I am covered. 
Observe me in accordance to the 600 laws of the Old Testament and you will not find a single fault in me. How many of you guys can say, no, don't raise your hand. Um, Everybody should raise their hand. What Paul spends time doing here is listing out treasures of the wasted life. He's listing out treasures of the wasted life. And the categories go like this. He lists off things like family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, a moral lifestyle. And the interesting about these things, they're great things. They're really, really awesome things. They are treasured and valued things in Paul's life and in most of our lives. And and something happened though. Paul encountered Jesus. He had this encounter with Jesus. Paul's life was set. He was living the ideal life. And then he came face to face with the person of Jesus. And this is what happened. I once thought these things were valuable. I looked at my life and said, these are valuable things. What are the things that you think of when you think, what is valuable in my life? But now, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I consider them worthless. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. That is a reason to rejoice, my friends, that Jesus is is greater than those things. Let's get back to the basics of the gospel. When we come face to face with Jesus, things begin to change. Actually, everything changes. Some of you need to be reminded this morning, um, like, Thinking this way, I once took pride in the life that I built for myself, but now it's different. I once looked at my life and thought, this is what makes me legit, but now it's different. I consider it all a loss. I consider it worthless. Something interesting, this is a accounting metaphor. Imagine a balance sheet. On one side, it's gains. On the other side, it's losses. I used to put all of my accomplishments, all of my success, all the good parts of me in the gains spot. This is what made my life my life. This is what made me proud to be me. I used to feel awesome about the ways I ventured through life because of my accomplishments. Then I found Jesus. I saw the love in his eyes. I answered the calling he placed on my life. He turned everything upside down and I moved my gains to my losses in comparison to him. That is what Paul is saying and that is what happens when we encounter Jesus. The way I view Jesus shattered everything else in my life. Why? Why is that? Because gains were actually holding me back from giving my all to Christ. Gains were holding me back. My gains actually distracted me from the only gain in this world worth receiving. So Paul lost so much when he came to following Jesus. For those of you who don't know this, he gave it all up. He became a dirt poor wandering teacher in in prison, beaten. He gave up his safety, his plans, his life. He gave it all up. And, And then he goes on and says that he considers good things as garbage, in this text. Kind of interesting. Scubula. It means rubbish or excrement or dung. It's like, that's crazy. It's the closest thing we have to an expletive in the scriptures. I consider the good things in my life as dung when I compare it to Christ. I had it all, but compared to Jesus, it is nothing to me. It's trash to me. What amazing faith we're witnessing here um, in Paul. What would it be like to possess faith like that? How many of you guys want faith like that? Where you're like, man, in comparison to Christ, this stuff is nothing to me. Um, Church, we have to begin to understand this. True joy in this life is found when our value for Christ shatters our value for anything else. If you want true joy in this life, it happens when you look at Jesus and you find that he is more valuable than anything else in this life. 
when we hold Christ with such honor and esteem and adoration, everything else is shattered in comparison. That's where joy is found, and this begs us to ask a question that is gonna be difficult for some of us. What are the things that we consider to be gains in this world? What do you find confidence in? I'm gonna list off a few, maybe to get your brain rolling, some things that I feel confident about. Man, I have a good job. Maybe you're thinking, I have a good job. I'm financially set. I've got a a warm place to go after this. Uh, Maybe you're thinking, man, my family is doing really good right now, which wasn't always the case. Or I've been going to church for 30 years. Awesome, beautiful things. I'm almost through college right now, maybe you're thinking. Or I have letters after my name because of how many hours I put in. Or maybe you're thinking, I used to report to people, but now I take confidence in the fact that they report to me. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm in high school and thriving, you know? You're like, yeah, I'm in high school, the glory years. Maybe you're thinking, I have a couple thousand Instagram followers, it's pretty rad. Maybe you're thinking, I'm a really nice person. Any nice people out there? You're like, at least I'm not mean, I'm nice, right? Or maybe you're like, dude, I'm I'm planning on sending my kids to college. Great thing. Maybe you're like, I've done mission trips. Many of them. Maybe you're like, I've donated time and resources to help people. The good in my life outweighs the bad, right? I'm a nice person. I study the Bible for goodness sakes. Like I wake up and study this thing. What do you consider a gain in your life? Once again, those are beautiful, beautiful things. And that is the hard part about this passage. That is the very difficult part about this. We must come to grips with the fact that when our view for Christ increases, when our view of him increases, when we look deeply into the eyes and heart and person of Jesus, our view of everything else begins to diminish. Those things begin to disappear. Don't forfeit everything by missing out on the one thing, Jesus. We must be careful about this reality. Dave mentioned this the other day a while back. If we aren't careful, the things we own begin to own us, right? Maybe you've heard that. I think this is so true, but it's also true with our accomplishments and success in this world. Um, this, uh, Paul, Paul, what he did is he discarded everything. He gave everything up for one purpose, and that purpose was this, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Another translation says, so that I could gain Christ and I could be found in him, to be found in him. The only thing that is worth value in the end is when God looks at us and we get to say, I'm with him. (laughs) And we get to grab Jesus and he goes, yep, he's with me. Like I know him, he knows me, I'm with Jesus. Because I gave it all up in pursuit of him, I used my life to get to know him the best that I possibly could. True joy comes from knowing Christ at all costs. You want true joy in in this life? Pursue Christ no matter what the cost is. Charles Spurgeon has a very, very convicting quote that I read this week that that I have to share. It goes like this. The half-hearted Christian is the most miserable person on earth. He's just enough in the world to be miserable in in the presence of God, and he's just enough into God to be miserable in the world. Wow, yeah. You're thinking, I don't want Nick to preach on joy anymore. Um, We step out of misery. We step out of misery and into joy when we forfeit it all to come to know Christ. We step out of misery and into joy when we're like, all of my resources, everything is for you, Jesus. 
Then he goes on and says, I no longer count, um, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I get this in verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know him and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one day, one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The only way to know God is through Jesus, right? Some of you know this, but sometimes we, we, we miss that and we think, I know a lot about Jesus. I know a lot about him. I know he did this and I know he did. It doesn't say, I want to know about him. It says, I want to actually know him. That is a relational term, to know him. We don't just want to, and we say this in young adults all the time, we don't want to just know more. We want to become more. Jesus isn't concerned for us to just fill our brains and not do anything. He wants us to fill our brains so that we become more. Paul's way of knowing Jesus, get this, means to experience the way that Jesus had experienced life. How many of you have friends and you've like went on a crazy adventure with them? And then after that, you feel so much closer with that person, right? You're like, you see them and you're like, oh, we've had that shared experience. That is crazy. That is how we experience, that is, that is how we get to know Jesus, through experiencing life with him. But then we have to ask ourselves the question, what life did Jesus experience? What kind of life did Jesus experience? One of suffering, but one of life. One of suffering, but one of true joy. Paul wanted to become like Jesus in his death so that he could become like him in his resurrected life. I love this, this thing right here. For Paul to suffer with Christ, it wasn't a penalty, it was a privilege. When you endure suffering, are you in a place of like, man, what a privilege? Or is it like, why am I being punished, <laughs> right? For, for, for Paul, um, suffering with Christ, it wasn't a penalty, it was a privilege. So to know Christ means to be united with him so closely that day by day we get to share in his death and we get to share in his resurrection. That is where life, life and true joy take place. I believe that the resurrected life is what instills joy in us. When we get to live into the fullness of that, we experience joy now and in the future. Right now and in the future, that is what is waiting for you and I, and that is the source of joy right now in this moment. Live in the moment, absolutely, but keep an eye on the future, you know? Keep an eye on the future. We don't live the, this resurrected life until we experience a death to our old ways of life. On one hand, the gospel is free. It's extended to everyone, it's free, but on the other hand, it costs everything. I think we need to hear that more um, in the American church. We, it costs us everything. Christ is worthy of it all. Christ is worthy of it all. The more we fix our eyes on that reality, the more we see that it's true. So I just wanna challenge you, fix your eyes on Christ. Have faith that he is worthy of it all. What are some gains you are being called to forfeit in this season of life? What if we started asking ourselves this question? What things do you, um, do you still see as gains? What are some things that I still see as gains and therefore is holding me back from experiencing Christ in his fullness? What if we started asking ourselves that? Let's, let's, let's ask ourselves that this morning. Spirit, what do I need to move from my gains to my losses? 
Where, where do I take pride and confidence? And how is that holding me back from experiencing you being my anchor, Christ? How are those things robbing you and I of joy in Christ? I think that, we, I think that when we ask these questions, we begin to grow into a community of people that live as Paul lived, as though everything is a loss for the sake of Christ. Everything is a loss for the sake of Christ. Christ is far greater than all things, good or bad. Let's live as though everything pales in comparison to the life of Christ and knowing him. Deal? Let's do that. Let's do that. So, so what does it mean to be a Christ follower in this room, in, in progressive Portland, Oregon in 2018? I think that it means this. It means we discover that Jesus Christ is a treasure chest of true joy, and we take everything and everyone and we write over the top of it, loss without him. Everything, everyone, every moment, rubbish without Christ. Rubbish. Do you know, ask yourselves this, do you know Christ? Do you know him? You're like, man, I, I, I prayed a prayer, I signed a card back and I did this or that. This is the wrong question to ask. Do you know him? Is he the treasure chest of holy joy in our lives? Does everything else in your life revolve around him? Do, you, do the awesome things in your life pale in comparison to him? Do you know Christ? I think somewhere along the way, um, we have forgotten about the adversary, and that's, that's what he desired to happen, but he, he, he numbs us, and he lulls us to sleep, and he masks us from asking these powerful questions. And he entertains us and he distracts us, potentially distracts us from this truth. But what if we lived like this? In Christ, we have something worth losing everything for. What if we woke up and we were reminded of that? We weren't distracted by that. We weren't blinded or, or numb to that question. We, are, we wake up and we say, man, in Christ, I have something worth losing everything for. And I step into the day with passion and zeal because Christ is worth banking it all on. Jesus is clear um, about the fact that if anyone is going to follow him, he must be in a place where he, can, he, he will lose it all. Matthew 13, we read two short parables. Um, and in one, a man finds treasure in a field. He's like wandering around, trips over treasure field. And then with joy, it says with joy, he sells all that he has to buy the field and gain the treasure. That's what it's like when we encounter the kingdom of God. And then there's a second parable and it's a merchant who is obsessed with these pearls and he finds one of such great value that he sells all he has and he purchases it. We have found that treasure, friends. We have found that thing that is worth losing everything for. This is the core truth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to find a treasure of such value that you will forfeit even the best things of your life for his sake, to lay it all down. If, if you read through church history, this is what we read about, people risking it all. Is there pain and is there loss when, when we give things up? Absolutely, absolutely, but we're sharing it with Christ. With Christ, we have it all. We have to keep that mentality going. I love Paul's perspective in this life. Um, one, one time, Paul was in prison and he was saying, you could kill me, and that's fine. If you don't, that's also great with me. Either way, why? Because you can't take Christ from me. I'm so rooted and grounded, and I've forfeited everything in such a way that I, I have this confidence. That is joy. 
That is joy right there that I want. That is, that is true peace and shalom um, and confidence in God. What, what if we started praying p- prayers like this? God, help me to risk it all. God, help me to risk it all. Help me to lay it all down. Help me to be willing to sacrifice every treasure of the wasted life, because that's what it is, wasted without you. Help me view Christ as the only treasure worth gaining in this world. Help me to leverage my life for the cause of Christ. I love how Jim Elliott puts it. He says this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is not a foolish message, my friends. It's, it's foolish to the world. It's scary to the world because we have a lot of safety and security in our stuff. But this is, man, there is so much security in, in, the, in the person of Jesus and what he's done. God is worthy of it all. He is the only constant in this world. And if there is one thing you can bank your life on, it is, it is on the faithfulness of God. If there is one thing you can lay all your chips on, bank everything on, it is on the faithfulness of God. It will never fail. So in light of that, we're going to share communion together this morning. We're going to take communion. And in a very real sense, we are going to share in Christ's body and blood through, through bread and juice in this case. And Christ asks that we do this so that we don't forget. Do we have any forgetful people in this room? I'm first to answer that one. Yes, I am. And this is a time to remember, to reflect on um, his deep love for us. Sometimes we lose sight of that. He is deeply, deeply in love with us. And something that is cool about communion is it's not just a reminder, but it's an action that we get to engage in. It's not like, hey, remember. It's like, oh, I get to taste and feel and reflect on the reality of this. Um, Let's spend a moment reflecting on Christ's death and then his glorious life and pray over the ways that he's calling us to engage in the same way. Let's, in a very real way, experience that with him. Let's take these next moments to reflect on the great links that Jesus went to rescue us from ourselves. The tables are are in the front and in the back, and uh, we're going to take communion whenever you're ready, but let me pray before we do this. God, thank you so much that, um, that you have gone to extreme lengths. You didn't forfeit everything to receive perfect and holy people. You forfeited everything for to, to redeem us. And, and God, we're forfeiting everything for something that we can bank on. So I just pray that you would help us to be people of such faith, people of such courage that we can bank it all. We can lay it all down and not, um, not like begrudgingly or being bummed out, but we can be joyful in our surrender. We can be joyful in our suffering because we know that you are forever faithful to your children. God, I pray that we can just take communion and that we would worship out of a place of faith and and experiencing this life with you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.